Well, if you were here last week, you know that we had a strange and rare event occur at the end of the service. I didn't finish the sermon. (laughs) Virtually unheard of, but we must deal with it. And so we're going to continue. um, But as, as sometimes I have to, I also want to say this. I really, really hope and pray that we're listening to what we're singing, Um, that we're thinking about the words of the songs we sing, and we're we're singing those songs as actual father-son, father-daughter love communication between us and the father, disciple and master communication between ourselves and Jesus, Um, because man, we sing some powerful worship songs, some amazing worship songs. So I hope we're, we're not just coasting uh, on automatic pilot through that worship time, uh, but that we're really listening to what we sing and then choosing that what we sing, we're purposefully singing it to God uh, and then gaining encouragement and strength from the things we're singing. Um, we're continuing in Colossians 1. And we, we looked last week, or we ended last week, um, here at verse... Nine, with the recognition that he's saying that we would come to comprehend his will with wisdom and understanding and that what we're praying for that for each other, that we're praying for each other to come to a deeper understanding of God's will in a way that that gets lived out. Uh, As we've talked about numerous times, wisdom is never just head knowledge. In fact, if it's just head knowledge, it's actually not biblical wisdom. And I could have the most profound insights and and be able to explain all kinds of depths and layers and details to the Word of God. And if I don't go live it, it's not yet wisdom. It may be intellectual understanding. It might even be deep insight. It is not yet wisdom until I'm choosing and growing and living it. And so we ended there last week, but he continues on in verse 10 and he says, so again, here's... Here's that desire for wisdom and understanding. And it has a point. He says, so that you will walk. There's an L in there. So that you will walk in a manner worthy. In a manner worthy of the Lord. And, and some of you were already remembering this, I bet. Uh, but go to Ephesians 4, where Paul uses some similar words. Ephesians chapter 4, where he says this. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And he goes on to describe the quality here of of that unity when he goes, there is one body, one Spirit, called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then he goes on to describe how we're gifted to bless one another. And again, part of, part of this, not the whole component of what he's addressing, but part of what he's saying is, if you're going to really live in a manner worthy of your calling and worthy of the Lord, learn to comprehend who the body of Christ is. 
and then to relate to them that way. And that's even as we shared communion service this morning in, in 1 Corinthians 11, that's part of what Jesus, I mean, part of what Paul, it is Jesus speaking through Paul, is when, when you share communion, honor the unity of the body. Don't think that I can share in communion wisely, that I can take of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ and then separate myself from fellowship with other believers or decide that certain believers are not, are not good enough to be a part of me. So this includes not just fellowship with the body as, as we are in this uh, gathering, but it also means that I'm growing in my wisdom to comprehend if I meet a Baptist, if I meet a Catholic, if I meet a Methodist, a Presbyterian, if, if I meet a, a non-denominational, which is sort of what we are, if I meet someone who belongs to Jesus Christ, that's my brother or sister. And that I'm comprehending that in a way that I preserve the bond of unity with other believers. Doesn't mean we're all going to sit in the same building on Sunday morning. But that we're learning the wisdom that part of my worthy walk, part of a walk that rises to the quality is that I comprehend and understand the unity of the body. And I recognize the body is defined by faith in Jesus Christ, not group membership. Not organizational membership. Real simple concept. I think most of us know that. But he's saying, please learn to think that way. But also now be praying that for one another. So that we're open to that fellowship as God present, presents opportunities for us. Now, back in Colossians, he says that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And he's not leaving in a mystery of what that walking in, the, in a manner worthy is. He says... To please Him. To please Him in all respects. To bear fruit. And that, that idea has already come up as we studied earlier portion of the same passage. To increase in knowledge. But again, it's knowledge of God. And you guys know this, but it's, it's always worth, you know, both Paul and Peter... Um, Say, you know, I'm getting ready to repeat something, but it's good for you that I repeat it. This is good repetition to recognize that every time Scripture talks about knowledge of God, he's, he's talking about an in-depth love relationship knowledge. He's never just talking about no more stuff. Now, it's important that we know more stuff. It's important that we comprehend doctrine. It's important that we comprehend the teaching of God's character. It's important that we gather teaching on the comprehension of, of how God works. It's important that we gather teaching on, on what God says is important and what he says is not important. We need those factual increases of knowledge. But that you and I are recognizing, in fact... Uh, as, as we were worshiping this morning, and, and I can't remember now which song it was, but there was one song where as we were singing, I, I was recognizing, I'm trying to look into the face of Jesus and sing this song to him. And, and my, my mind or my flesh or something in me just sort of wants to turn away. Something in me finds that really challenging. And yet at the same time, something else in me finds that really nourishing to look Jesus in the face and recognize this is not about me singing my membership with a club. This is about me loving you. And that you and I grow in that. 
that I want to grow in the knowledge of God. I want to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I want to grow in the knowledge of the Holy Spirit. But I want all that knowledge to nourish a love relationship. Now, I believe that God gave us an imagination on purpose. Uh, there are things I've read in the past, and it almost sounds like there have been times in, in, in the Christian history where people saw the imagination as a bad thing. God gave us an imagination so that we could take what he describes and build a mental picture of it. So, for example, one of my favorite mental, uh, mental pictures in Scripture is in Ephesians 2. After Ephesians 1 described Jesus raised from the dead, this is a real visual picture. See this happening. And he's raised up with all the power of God, not just raised back to life, but then he's raised above every name, every power, every authority, every dominion. Everything in the universe is under the power of Jesus Christ. And then he sits down at the right hand of the Father because his work is done. He got it done perfectly. So that's the mental picture of Ephesians 1. Then Ephesians 2 says, Now you, because of God's great love and his great mercy, he made you alive. And he raised you up. And he seated you in Christ Jesus. And if you don't have a strong mental picture of that raising... I would encourage you, spend time reading that passage and imagining it and imagining it and imagining it because part of what we're called to and that we pray for each other's father, please help this brother or sister grow a strong, strong picture of what's true. So when they face that tough moment, when they face that hard temptation, when they face that deep discouragement, they face it from their correct position seated in Christ at your right hand. They're not under that situation. They are seated in Christ over it. I'm going to pray for them to have that vision because your spirit has spoken that vision to their imagination and to my imagination. And, and if you have never imagined the word of God while you're reading it, I really want to encourage you, pick up that process. Pick up that commitment of Father. I don't want to just read words. I want to see the truths that you're experiencing so I can handle them and use them in real life. So that my seating in Christ at the right hand of the Father above everything becomes practical warfare knowledge. But it also becomes intimacy with the Father. I know this is really corny and I've shared it before. There are times when I'm praying that that vision is, that image is so strong in my mind, I'm leaning left to talk to God. Uh, that is corny. Please believe me, there is zero doctrinal value to turning left to talk to God. <laughs> Don't worry about emulating anything about that. But that, that image is so clear that it's if I'm in Christ at his right hand, he's right here. And obviously, it's even more intimate than that. It's just one picture of many he gives that I am in him and he is in me. And that you and I are learning that, that we're not talking to a distant God off in heaven. And in fact, a lot of times... And I've, I've heard this, and I bet, some of, I, I bet I've said it at some point, and many of you have either heard it or said it yourself. I felt like my prayers didn't even get past the ceiling. Ever heard that or thought that? Well, how wonderful that God's not above the ceiling. He's right here with me. And if my prayers just basically fell out of my mouth and landed right here, God's saying, I caught that. We're so close, you just whisper and I hear it. 
You just whisper in your mind and I'm right here to hear it. And seriously, that you and I would grow that vision of, Father, I'm not trying to reach you. I'm with you. And you want me to have this knowledge so that it changes the flavor of our love relationship. And he wants that. We're not, we're not trying to get God to tolerate us. God is the one saying, I love you so comprehensively, so deeply. I'm trying to get you to come accept what I'm offering. And that's even to believers. All of these letters wouldn't have to be written. We wouldn't have to be praying this for each other if it just came automatically by becoming a Christian. We're going to have to grow these things. And he says, and that's what I'm praying is that your knowledge of these things would, would increase. This is not the pen. I can't write on this with this pen. Okay, put that one away. So pleasing him, bearing fruit, which we've already talked about, and now increasing in, in this knowledge for a love relationship. And he goes on and he says, strengthened with all power. Strengthened with all power. But it's not power for just random purposes. He says why. According to his glorious might. For the attaining of all steadfastness. For patience. And for joyful gratitude. I need power. You and I need power to be steadfast. We need power to be patient. And we even need power to have gratitude. We need power from God for those qualities. Steadfastness means that you and I keep growing until we are in a solid, unmovable place with God. And there have been times in my life, and, and, and I'm, I bet there's been times in your lives, many of you, where you recognize the only thing I feel capable of doing right now is clinging to you. I don't feel strong. I don't feel eloquent. I don't, I don't feel, you know, mighty in the word. I just going to cling to you. And God's, the father is saying, that's good. I love that you would cling to me no matter what. That whether you feel strong or you feel weak, that you recognize I have given you power to cling to me. Don't be moved away from me. And, and one of the things we see frequently in the men and women of Scripture that God presents for us to emulate isn't that they're perfect. There is not one person in Scripture that's perfect except for Jesus Christ himself. And in fact, some of the men and women of God are just riddled with imperfections, just like us. And then one thing that shines through in that, that's part of the reflection of their, their faith in God, is they keep clinging to God. If they're angry, they hash it out with God. If they're afraid, they hash it out with God. If they feel like running and hiding, they hash it out with God. And that gets to be the flavor of your steadfastness and my steadfastness. And then part of the flavor of what we're praying, praying for one another is, right, Father, right now, Bob or Susie is going through a really hard time. Father, I'm praying that your power, your power in them 
would equip them to cling to you, even if that's all they feel they can do. They don't walk away from you. They cling to you. But he also says patience. Patience means we persist in the face of onslaught. We persist in the face, in the face of deprivation. We persist in the, in the face of things not happening that we're hoping and waiting to happen. We persist. And it goes with that steadfastness of, Father, nothing's changing my direction. I'm going in this direction with you. Nothing's changing that. And Father, I really don't understand why you haven't answered this prayer yet. Father, I really don't understand why you haven't removed this obstacle. I truly don't comprehend why you haven't changed this situation. But Father, let's you and I agree, because this is about a love relationship, that nothing will change my direction, that I'm aiming for a deeper love relationship. I patiently endure all that onslaught. And then he gets to joyful gratitude. And again, even here, he's not just saying some generic, you know, thank you for this bread, thank you for this meat, thank you for this chicken. Chicken's an important thing to be thankful for. That, that we're thankful for stuff. That's included, always included, is thankful for the stuff. One of the things that's frequently in the Gospels is we see Jesus thanking God for meals. That's not some weird thing that evangelical Christians in the United States made up. Jesus made it up. We get to do that. We get to be thankful for meals. But this gratitude has a different focus. And he goes, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. This is an important word. He has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of life. Now, in counseling through the week, and, and in fact, just Friday, this came up numerous times, of dealing with people that are into their adulthood, people as young adults, people as teenagers and children, people as old adults who are still struggling with this, that they heard a voice somewhere in their life, a mother, a father, that's usually who it is, sadly, um, but someone who conveyed the message, whether they did it on purpose or not, you're not good enough. Now, to be fair, that parent might have been trying to convey a different message because our own sinfulness is in the mix of how we perceive and hear and experience things. But one way or another, there's all these believers struggling with this feeling of, I'm not enough and I'm not good enough. And if I were to ask for a show of hands, and I'm not going to, but if I were to ask for a show of hands, I am confident that most of the people in this room would say, I've struggled with that. Whether it was because of something my parents said or something I experienced in, in the school environment or something I experienced because of how friends treated me, that I ended up feeling deeply that I'm not enough or I'm not good enough. Now, here's this miraculous thing, this, this equation-changing reality that God has accomplished through Jesus Christ. That God can say, you know what? You're not enough. But that's okay, because my son is enough, and I have given to your account all of my son's enoughness. All of his goodness is on your account. All of his qualification to be seated at my right hand is truly, truly on your account. 
really, in the real universe, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're now qualified. And you can talk to God and say, Father, I still have this feeling that I'm not enough. But I want to thank you that in Jesus Christ and because of Jesus Christ, I now am enough. I'm enough to carry out your purposes. I'm enough to talk to you without being rejected. I'm enough to be welcome in your presence. I'm enough to expect your help. I'm enough to be a full son or daughter of God. Even though I could look back at my day, I could just look back at the last few minutes maybe and see all the things that I would normally say disqualify me. And then I get to agree with you. They don't disqualify me. That's a false feeling now for us as believers. I cannot be disqualified from the purposes of God based on my history. That I get to go deeper in Christ and growing in Christ, and all of this is about growing, and I get to have this amazing gratitude for this. And now I get to pray for you to have gratitude, and I get to pray for you to have gratitude that we would comprehend, Father, as I'm praying for this brother or sister, Help them to grow in this confidence that you have qualified them. That they get over and go further in overcoming that mindset of insufficiency and inadequacy. That is actually pervasive in scripture in the servants of God. So you remember the first thing Moses did when God came to him and said, I've chosen you to go set my people free. Yeah, you got the wrong guy. Now, my, my brother, he's pretty eloquent. You could pick him. Moses immediately, and he had history behind this. He had real, lived-out history to go, you know what, God, when I try to do God stuff, I screw it up. When I try to carry out big, important purposes, boy, do I screw it up. And the difference here is now God's saying, you know what? And, and he does say this. But this time, I'm sending you. How cool is that? Now, I'm sending you. And if I send you, I always send enough supplies for the journey. If I send you on a mission, I prepare everything for the mission. Now, in gentle grace, I I know I've mentioned this before. God said, fine, take Aaron. If you think you need Aaron with you, take Aaron. And when they were in front of Pharaoh, who did all the talking? Moses. Because somewhere along the way, he goes, wait a minute, I got to speak up. Here's what, the, here's what the God of the universe is telling you, Pharaoh. And, and maybe he stuttered while he was saying it. Maybe he felt like he had a better choice of words. Maybe he still struggled with some feeling of inadequacy, but he got done majestic stuff because he sent, he went where God sent him and he spoke what God commanded him. And you and I get that same gratitude. Father, thank you that if I'm busy doing the things you send me to, I'm going to grow. Doesn't mean I'll do it perfect. Doesn't mean I'll do it sinless. Doesn't mean everybody will approve of my job. But Father, if I'm really learning your heart and in this love relationship, I'm listening to your voice and my desire is to please you in all respects. And my desire is to carry out good works that matter to you and be fruitful in those things. And I go, in your power, I'm qualified. In your power, I am qualified. That's a scary thought. 
Because as soon as we really believe we're qualified, we, lo- we run out of excuses to not obey him. And Moses was looking for an excuse to not obey God. And he measured himself and said, I'm the excuse why I can't obey you. I am inadequate. And now God is saying for every son, every son and daughter in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, if I send you, you're qualified. Please believe me and now pray it for one another so that when you see each other struggling with that sense of inadequacy, you don't settle for it. You fight it. You fight it with truth and you fight it with gratitude. I like that. Fight it with gratitude. He's qualified us. But he's qualified us for several things. He's qualified us to share in the inheritance. And so far this year, January and February, we've hit this idea several times of really comprehending and growing in our understanding of the Word of God. What have I inherited? And we will be studying that and growing that for the rest of our lives. There's no seminar, there's no six-week seminar you can take or 12-week seminar or four-year degree that you can take and go, now I understand everything about my inheritance in Christ. Glad I got that done. For the rest of our lives, we will be growing in this. But that's the point, that we would keep growing to understand how he qualified us to share in this inheritance. And we we did the handout, which I hope some of you are actively using to understand the truth of who we are in Christ. That that's not a nice little handout to stick in your Bible or, or your bedside table. And then every now and then, Reg will talk about it and you go, oh yeah, I still got that thing. That thing is supposed to be out. (laughs) Not Not because I gave it to you, but because it's the word of God gathered that describes a multitude of truths about who you are in Christ and who he is in you. And that we get to choose where we're challenged by that list. We get to recognize some of this does not yet set with me. I do not yet believe some of this. I get to go deeper in understanding my inheritance And then figuring out how will I live and speak and think and talk different because this inheritance belongs to me. And he goes on to say, I'm qualified to be rescued. And he goes on, actually, I like this. He rescued us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So it's rescued and transferred. I don't know if transferred sounds like a good doctrinal word, but it's a good doctrinal word. I now dwell in a different kingdom. It's not just that he rescued me. He said, I'm I'm rescuing you to live in a completely different place. And And in fact, part of the scripture several times address this, how foolish, how senseless it is to be rescued And then go back and live in the same filthy place. To be rescued from insanity of the world. And then go back and live the insanity of the world. To be rescued from deprivation and and sin. And then to just willfully settle back in to a life of deprivation and sin. How foolish is that when I've been rescued to live in a completely different kingdom. That is now the domain and kingdom of Jesus Christ. So that gets to be part of our challenge. When we're tempted, when we're facing temptation, everybody in this room will be tempted to live sin. Nobody's exempt from this. The the areas of temptation may differ person to person. 
But everybody in this room, the enemy will be trying to pull us back into living in the filth of the world. And, and by filth, it doesn't even have to look filthy. It just has to be less than the kingdom we're designed for. That's all. If I'm meant to live in the castle with the king, and I'm living in a nice, a nice little McMansion down the road, and, and it's got 17 bedrooms, and a pool out back, Somebody else is cleaning the pool. That is not my job. I'm still living poor compared to where I'm supposed to be. I'm a son of the king. You're a son or daughter of the king. And God's saying, I transferred you to this kingdom. Be full of gratitude. I've qualified you to live in this kingdom. Choose and think and act like you agree that you are qualified to live in this new kingdom. I've had numerous Christians through the years, folks that I knew well enough that I knew, this person is a genuine believer. They've really put their faith in Jesus Christ. And they hold back from ministry. They hold back from any involvement in the things of God because they're convinced that they are not qualified. They're convinced that they're still too tainted by the world. They're convinced that they're not good enough. And so part of this agreeing with God that I'm qualified in living in the new kingdom is then, Father, let's get on with kingdom stuff. Let's figure out how I do marriage different because I dwell in your kingdom. Let's figure out how I do parenting different or how I do, what's the opposite of parenting? How I be a kid, how I respond to my parents. There's got to be a better word for that. Whatever the relationship, how do I do this relationship stronger, wiser, better, more graciously? Because I live in this kingdom, not that old kingdom. And now, Father, when I go to work or when I go to school, how will I operate different? How will I be at peace different when things don't go my way? How will I handle success or even failure in a completely different way? Because I don't belong to that kingdom. I belong to this kingdom. And in this kingdom, your purposes prevail. We, we did a study this morning in Sunday school going through portion of, of Daniel's prayer. And one of the things that Daniel says in his prayer as he's preparing to give Nebuchadnezzar a, a miraculous vision of what his dream means that actually was about the entire history of the world is he's praising God. He says, Father, thank you that you're the one who changes times and epochs. I want to praise you because you're the one who sets up kings and takes kings down. You're the one who gives wisdom to anyone who depends on you for wisdom. And part of what Daniel is saying is he's saying, you're sovereign. You're in charge. So if I'm dwelling in your kingdom, the world can throw whatever it throws at me. My own body can throw things at me that I was hoping would not happen for another 20 years. All kinds of things can happen in my life, my finances, my health, my society, my country, my world. And here, dwelling in this kingdom, you tell me to be unafraid because I'm growing a vision that your purposes are sovereign for the sons and daughters who trust you. And that as we go into the week ahead, that we're thinking that, planning that, and then pleased that we're doing this. That now we're gaining that vision of dwelling in that kingdom, fully qualified to dwell in that kingdom, and we're praying it for one another. 
So we get to pray again all the practical aspects. We're told we have authority and freedom to bring every request. So bring every request to God with thanksgiving. But where we're not losing track of the things that he's laid out in front of us and said, this is my heart for you. Pray these things for one another. And I want to I just end with this. Because he says this. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And Annie shared that word from God on her heart this morning about understanding and receiving and enjoying and then distributing the forgiveness of God. And all of this transfer into his kingdom, all of this qualification is founded on this principle. We're forgiven. And that should fill me with gratitude. Now, I almost hesitate to do this, but I will do this. Imagine for a few seconds, I will quickly tell you to erase this imagination, but for a few seconds, imagine standing in front of God and where suddenly all those sins you've forgotten about are all laid out right in front of you. Imagine standing in front of God where every thought, every word, every attitude, every action that was displeasing him is now vividly portrayed right there in front of you and between him and you you're both looking at it and you don't have a savior you don't have a sacrifice for your sin it's just you and the judge and your resume it's just you and the judge and your full track record that would be a horrifying moment if we comprehend it that would be a hopeless and horrifying moment But part of what he's saying, be filled with gratitude because that moment will never happen. That moment, for all who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, that moment will never happen. We're not going to go in front of God. And I know I've known plenty of Christians who are afraid of this. We're not going to go in front of God and God goes, oh, by the way, even though down there on the planet I want you dwelling in my forgiveness, now that you're in front of me, I want to be angry at you for a few minutes. Now that you're in front of me, I want to shame you and humiliate you with your track record for a few minutes. That is absolutely not going to happen because in order for that to happen, God would have to set aside how pleased he was with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on your behalf. That moment literally cannot happen because of the heart and the mind of God treasuring his son's death for every man, woman, and child who's put their faith in Jesus Christ. I try not to yell too often because every time I go to a church and Pastor yells at me. I'm going, you don't have to yell that. Sorry, I guess I had to yell that. Let's pray together. Father, I do thank you that what you've accomplished is amazing. That you have qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You have qualified us for true forgiveness and redemption. We're bought back into your kingdom. And Father, I do thank you for everyone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ. Just a simple choice to agree that Jesus' death is the payment for our sins. We will now never have to fear that moment when we stand in front of you with our entire history, but no Savior. And Father, I pray that that awareness really would fill us with gratitude. Not just a doctrinal understanding of gratitude. But Father, that there would be times this week when every single one of us would find moments to just bow our hearts and our minds and our bodies before you. And just thank you and thank you 
that we are forgiven. And that in that gratitude, we'll also remember that we're clean. We're holy. We're acceptable. We're worthy. We are seated in Christ at your right hand. You've already qualified us to be seated with you. And Father, one day we will experience it. One day we will literally experience that position. But for right now, you want us to agree that that position belongs to us. Because Jesus qualified us. Father, I pray that as we go into the week, that we would be amazed at these things. But that we would also look back over these passages and pray these truths for one another. Father, that there would be many people praying for me to grow in comprehending your power. Praying that I would be filled with gratitude. Praying that I would be filled with a deeper knowledge so that our love relationship is strengthened. Praying that I would be strengthened to walk in a manner that is worthy of you, Lord. And that we would be praying that for each other. In fact, Father, I pray this, that not one single person in this room would face a week where there isn't somebody praying these things on their behalf because of what you do in our thinking. And has already been prayed by Troy, Father, that we would, we would be doers of this word. Not just merely hearers who think it's a nice idea, but we would go do this word. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.